Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There is no way you could have possibly missed Sammy J unless you've been living under a rock. He's the breakfast show presenter on ABC Radio Melbourne and his extraordinary performing history makes him one of the most joyful broadcasters to enjoy over your morning coffee. Sammy is gentle, intelligent, self-deprecating and very, very clever. One of my favourite parts of this chat with Sammy was learning how he was comedy shamed by a Hollywood actor who's no longer on my crush list as a result. Enjoy Sammy J. My name is Sammy J and I am a laughaholic. It's been three weeks since I last had a chuckle. Billy Zane does not love me. I had the Phantom on the phone telling me, <laughs> you're not funny, you're lame, stop it. <laughs> Laughaholics, celebrating laughter. Recording in progress. Samuel Jonathan McMillan. <gasps> I How dare know. you? <laughs> I want to know, Sammy J., why? Uh, now, you've said it on air and I've heard you. I've heard you. So don't tell me that you've never said it on air before. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide on Sammy J rather than Sam McMillan, for example? Because, I mean, it's, of course, it's a very catchy name and it's yes. working well for you. But w- was there someone who, who was famous who had that name? Not, not that I know of them. No, it was a deliberate, concerted and almost commercially minded decision in year eight to give myself a nickname. <laughs> And I've got like diary entries to prove it. I, I, I decided I wanted to have a cool, quirky name because Sam McMillan was a bit too boring. And I just stubbornly like forced it on my friends and said, I'm going to be Sammy J from now on. That and is then, so gorgeous. So it was really like it was fully reverse engineered. And the idea that that is now the name I'm, I'm known by gives my year eight self a lot of pleasure. Well, yeah, because I mean, the theory is we're not allowed to give ourselves our own our own nicknames. No, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when Cyclone Tracy went through <laughs> the country and I tried for everyone to call me Cyclone and nobody would. Nobody would yep. call me Cyclone Tracy. So I want to know, does your family call you Sam or Sammy? There's another Sam, uh, an in-law of mine who's a Sam, so Sammy gets used a lot. But it's interchange. My school friends and, and so on still call me Sam often, but it's, it's so slippery and so I, I sort of just respond to anything because people often will meet me and – and be a bit awkward and say, oh, do I call you Sam or Sammy? And in my hand, it's, it's no difference. And it's probably been 20 years of combining the two, whereas for many years of my crappy little comedy career at Sammy J's, there's been a character or a version of this and that. And these days, it's much more in line with who I actually am. There's a correction that needs to be made there, Sammy mm. J. How can you possibly refer to your comedy career as crappy? Because <laughs> it's. I, I was thinking today as I was drying my hair, and I thought, and when was the first time I saw Sammy J? And and you were on the ABC singing something with your piano. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I'll tell you, who's this little upstart? He's bloody awesome. I remember thinking that was the first time I'd seen you. And I thought you were English because there's a bit of that tone in your, the way you sing. But I thought, who is this guy? And here you are, you know, doing the most incredible job on Breakfast Radio on the ABC. And I've done that job myself and I know how hard it is. And I just wanted to say to you, congratulations, because you are doing such a lovely job. It's a really hard gig and it's fresh and it's fun and it's gorgeous every day. So congratulations, Sam, but please don't say you've had a crappy career because it's really good. Well, 
Thank you so much. That means a great deal coming from you, Tracy Bartram, who I'd listened to on radio in the years we're talking about, and so it was a huge honour to be oh, asked. Oh, did you listen you. when you were at school and now you've aged I actually, me? I, no, I did, but look, we all, we all age at the same rate. So, we yeah. all do. But, um, and so, but no, crappy was a, a bit of self-deprecation, as is my standard thing, and, I, and, and but I'm really proud of my career and certainly where I am at now. However, because, well, you know, I trust you, we can go deep straight away, can't we? But I think yeah. there's also... You know, there's associated levels of shame in my career as well, like in any showbiz career of things where where you wish you hadn't done that or, or choices you've made or creative things you've done. And so I think back to potentially the show you're talking about was stand-up in 2004, my first, like I was 19 and I got given a gig on, on TV. Some of the stuff that I was singing then would get me cancelled by today's standards, like, <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. genuinely. And so I, I had this sort of an overactive self-analysis sort of, not quite self-loathing, but certainly, you know, the ability to still be embarrassed by things from two decades ago, which I wish I could shake. But that comes into it when I when I refer to my crappy comedy career. It's sort of self-defensive because I, I think I've done some great things and I've also done some really poor things and somewhere in the middle you, you forge a career. Yeah, and it's been, it's been a gorgeous career. I, is it true that your first gig was on Hey Hey It's Saturday on Red Faces? Uh, yes. Uh, well, yes. I, I, I've been jumping around the playground and things at school, but that was 1999, 15 years old. What can I tell you about Sammy J? Sammy J, he's from uh, from Melbourne. Sammy J, he's got an audio tape playback. All right, okay, fine. And he's uh, performing the the nerd song. Here is Sammy J. When I was young. Oh, much younger than today, I was a bum Because I didn't know how to play basketball, football, softball, volleyball, tennis ball In short, I didn't have any ball The guys, they gave me wedgies every day Being good at maths didn't stop the pain When they did it again, I was prompted to say this I'm a nerd, you're a jock, I'm thin You're a block, I'm white You are tanned, my show's clean Yours is banned, I read books You read porn, I like black You like worn, I eat fruit You eat twisties, you have pies Me, rice krispies I do work. You play sport, you have muscles. I have naught, I have glasses. You have frames, you are wild. I am tamed. I should photos, you should birds. You're a jock. And I'm a nerd. You know, you do things when you're young that you just wouldn't do as an adult. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to go in front of two million people. That's amazing, though. But, I mean, it was at the time it was a fantastic show and it was such a showcase and that's how we got to see everybody because anyone visiting the country went on to hey hey and of course you know with cancel culture and and what what's happened since we know that it was for that time it was a, an amazing thing for that time um, but we also know there were some things that you wouldn't do now in fact can i do a show and tell i know this is a, a podcast but in case i love you show and tell yeah but video. we're recording the video yeah okay stay there for one second because this is the joy of doing things from home i can actually get something to show you Hang oh on. that's gorgeous <laughs> Sammy J has left his desk. He's rummaging. He's looking for something. He's he's actually left the camera. Oh, here he's back. He's back. Headphones are back on. What did you find, okay, Sam? Okay, so I can reveal to you my uh, first official single I released. This is about <laughs> a year after calling myself Sammy J. I thought I needed to solidify it. So here it is, the nerd song oh, by Sammy J. Gorgeous. Who did the artwork? Uh, that was me and Microsoft Paint. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sammy, that is uh, awesome. Hang on, hold it up. I'm going to take a screenshot. Okay. Oh, I love it. I can't believe so you did the That artwork. was the song I, that I performed on Red Faces with my shirt off. Uh, here we are talking about self-deprecation. It was the ultimate sort of self-defensive, this, this little song about being a nerd and, and, you know, it was, wasn't great, but it certainly had some um, 
a spirit there of someone who didn't really give a shit about what people were, were saying about But you him. were 15. I mean, it's so brave. Yeah. I mean, let's go back a bit. I mean, I did my research. You, you did go to Peninsula Rara, did you not? Yeah, but I always, I mean, I was on a scholarship. I always, I always feel the need to say that because it's so, I, I've certainly, <laughs> we didn't have the sort of money that other families had at the school, you know. But you earned a scholarship, which is great. I mean, there's no doubt about your talent. The Rain Boys went there from Australian Crawl mm-hmm. and the Malloy Boys. I mean, there's a, there's a whole raft of people in the comedy and music industry who went to Peninsula Grammar. So yep. you got in on a scholarship. What, what was that nerdy little boy like? Were you, what came first, the music or the comedy? Uh Comedy was always my thing, and this was a traditional, and and this will not be this is not unique to me, uh, as you would know, Tracy. In terms of family, you know, parents divorced when I was maybe seven or eight, you know, and then that, that sends you in, often into a bit of a your own little world or cocoon. Mm. And performing and attention seeking seemed to be I don't know how directly related that is, but certainly I went from being quite a shy kid to suddenly my school reports in grade two were well, gee, Sam's acting out a bit. He's really you know getting <laughs> jumping up on the tables a lot, isn't he? And <laughs> <laughs> and then my primary school uh, time was a period of refining that to, to realise that you didn't have to always be completely annoying to get attention. You could actually try and create things to get attention. And so I started drawing and writing and, and writing poems and, and things. And um, I don't know how deep you want me to go now in terms of the detail of it, but, but there was a specific moment where, where, where it became musical for me. And that's coming up after the break. <laughs> Am I doing good radio craft? That's you what I learned on the ABC. <laughs> Will you, will you actually use that to go to a break, Tracy? Oh, we'll use it, Sammy. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, we're going to use it. That's that's outstanding. Welcome back. So, can I ask you, where were you in the birth order? I was the youngest child. Of, of how many? Three, of okay. three. Uh, older sister and middle brother. Okay, so we know he's got issues because <laughs> because he's the middle. Yeah. So, so tell me about mum and dad. Like, which who was funny? Because there's normally someone who's got the gift somewhere along the line. It's a great question and I've never considered it so sort of starkly before because both my parents are funny in the sense, you know, laughter is always a thing in our family, still is. Neither would I say, I don't think either of them are like a bag of laughs, like sort of straight, you know, they're not considered the funny ones in their friendship groups or anything, but mum is probably certainly more outgoing and and has that sort of slightly troublemaking spirit, I guess. <laughs> I love her. Yep. I love her already. And dad uh, is certainly academically and politically, he was a politics teacher his whole life and he's, you know, he was sort of involved in my like getting in, interested in Australian politics and things from a very early age. And uh, so I'm very lucky in that sense to have had these, yeah, parents obviously, but also, you know, specific influences from them. Mum had a musical backing as well, you know, played guitar. And Did she teach you music? No, because she was more just a hobby sort of from her youth almost. Just, but it was always music was certainly encouraged. My brother's a, now you say he's got issues. He's got issues with his guitar because he's a professional guitarist <laughs> living in Germany. So, <laughs> so it was a, but a, a creative a creative space. You know, like never once we never had to do that thing of fighting to be creatives in our family. It was like oh. if, if I told mum I wanted to be a sports person, she would have taken me aside and had a word to me about how that was not the right path. You know? <laughs> I, one of the things, I mean, I love lots of things about you, but I love the fact that you're as as, as um, bereft of sporting knowledge as I am because I just I just didn't grow up with it and I don't really yeah. understand it. And, you know, when the grand final came along, the only reason I started watching football is because I've got a, house, a housemate who's football mad. So it was a case of you can't beat them, join them, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, now it's – I mean, I expect a full recovery, Sammy J. I, I, I'm having to unlearn a lifetime of – like detesting sport, like actually hating it because of, you know, your work. being good at it and stuff. And now 
possibly because of, you know, doing the ABC stuff. And I, I grudgingly accept that it's not all evil and there's good things in it, but like it's a long journey. Oh, I know. I remember some guy, I won't name him, who came into the studio that you probably work in now, work, work from now, and he came in from, from Cricket Australia and I said to him on air, look, I should tell you, I don't know anything about cricket at all. And he leaned back in his chair and crossed his arms and said, yes, I've heard about your kind. <laughs> And I just, I I didn't care because, I mean, that was the thing. I I remember saying to them, look, I'm happy to do the work, but I don't know anything about sport. But, um, you know, if you're happy with that, then we'll be okay. So going back to your family, the three kids and mum and dad, were Mm -hmm. there shows that you watched? Were there things that you sort of raced home from school to watch? Or were were those sort of comedies that you just went, you couldn't miss it? Because I was trying to work out, I mean, you're a bit, about 10 years older than my son, and we... My son and I used to watch things like The Mighty Boosh and Family Guy and yep. even though he was – because I, I didn't know what they were but he'd introduced me to them and I just loved the fact that we could sit and watch those things together and have something to laugh at together, you know, with such an age gap. So was that, did that sort of happen at your place? Well, like I was thinking long and hard about this before our chat because I think I've – when you often as a comedian you're asked about your influences and I, I've got my go-to ones that I refer to which – we can talk about, but I was, you know, Sean McAuliffe, Frontline, yes. Degeneration. They're my sort of go-to. It was very Aussie-based yes. local comedy that I really – Good choice. And all there. brilliant. Yeah. At Lano and Woodley, I would throw in there as well. But the, when I actually think it through, I think actually it all started well before that with The Simpsons. Like I never I never talk about The oh, Simpsons. Of course. Because it, it, it feels like it's it's almost too obvious, like they're part of our – they're in our society. They're all around us. But I was, you know, I was nine years old when the series – started like I think and so I was actually that's what I'd be racing home from school that's what I'd be watching it was so subversive and different and musical and it's just uh, this is the first time I probably said that that was obviously a huge influence because I've never you just take it for granted almost the things that are just around you all the time but how could you grow up loving the Simpsons then go into comedy without having that that as part of your DNA because I think that was yeah. Does that mean that you automatically fell in love with Seth MacFarlane's work on Family Guy? <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, he writes everything, sings everything, plays all the characters. I mean, what a guy. Oh, what a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love him. I love when him. When I sort of hit my, my uni days or whatever, you know, in the reviews and skeptics and getting into comedy, that's when I turned to, that's when I found Family Guy, Mighty Boosh, and that more modern sort of absurd, you know, adult humour. Yeah. Um, but in, in the interim, though, throughout my high school days, it was very much Finding Monty Python, enjoying <gasps> Australian stuff. Oh, but, Monty Python. I grew up on that. Yeah. It was amazing. Oh, can I tell you, just to make you jealous, I have met Michael Palin. There, I've said it. Oh. I have a photo. Um, yeah, we had a lovely oh. chat. He's, I mean, he's been voted the nicest man in Britain. I mean, he's just he's just outstanding. So I'm, I'm glad that you watched them. That gives me vicarious thrill. However, at high school, I was still in the minority, like, you know, in the 90s. This is late 90s we're talking. They were already quite... You know, they were an, of another generation, and so yes. that I wasn't watching the things that my peers were watching, and so it was still you found your friends amongst those who actually did know who Monty Python were, you know, or, or, and those sort of things, and so it, comedy instantly for me was a way of fitting in and finding your tribe as well. And yeah, Monty Python would be an example because there'd be a whole generation now who've never heard of them, and that's just you know why would they watch the life of Brian and, and so on, and that's just because it's brilliant. Well, exactly. It, we can say that, but we're just going to be old people banging on about no, in the same way that. But you know what, though? I mean, I watched The Life of Brian recently because we've been locked up for so long that I've, I've watched things over and over. And I did watch it recently, and I thought this still stands up. It it hasn't dated at all. It's mm-hmm. it's you know. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking the life of who, life of Brian, just it's it's a classic. 
And because it's, it's, you know, it's a satire of religion in all its forms, obviously, particularly Christianity as the focus. And I say this with, you know, love and respect for Christianity itself. But I remember my religion teacher at the time when I said I was watching it and they got quite annoyed and said, oh, I can't watch that. And that really piqued my interest because I thought it's actually in many ways, and the, the boys have said themselves, it's quite a gentle, you know, like it's, yes. it's not tearing down religion in, in any real way. It's the fact that a piece of art could could upset somebody like that. I wanted to know why when I I just found it really funny and, and, and joyous. And so that was certainly probably a little step on my little satirical journey as well. Yeah, very much so. I mean, having said that, I saw the Book of Mormon on Broadway <sighs> and I just thought there's no way this can ever come to Australia because it, it has to be done by Americans in America. It's just that. And, and it came here and I didn't see it. I'm sure it was amazing. I saw it here and it was, was, it was it, amazing. It was amazing, they, yeah. They imported half the cast, I think, though. They, yeah, they did. Yep. But, I mean, I just remember sitting there from that the first the first song, you know, hello, my name is whatever it was, and I just went, oh, and just to be actually sitting in Broadway, I was in – and. <laughs> I got a ticket at the last minute. I went, I went I went with my friend, I'm going to name him, Stephen Brimbank, who is a Barbara Streisand impersonator, and he's extraordinary. He's screamingly funny and so talented, and he's been to Australia, and if, ever, if you ever get the chance, look up Barbara Streisand, Stephen Brimbank. He was on Good News Week and did a duet with Paul McDermott. Uh, so he had tickets with oh. his friend, and he said, um, "So go and get you know get in the, in the last minute queue. You'll get one. You're on your own." And um, so I, I, I went up and said, "Oh, hello, I'm Tracy. I'm from Australia, and I'm on my own. I just want." He said, "You're in the wrong queue." And <laughs> so, so Stephen Brimbank said to me, "Oh, honey, if they're working in the ticket box, they're better. They're better." <laughs> And so I was, Stay I, was the, down. I was so great. I was the only female in a line of, you know, the, the whole audience was gay pretty much. And I was there with my bag on my lap, you know, white Australian. And everyone, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life, seeing the, the Book of Mormon. So, you know, that was that same sort of push, wasn't it, towards religion where it was because they, that the Mormon church advertised in their programs. Yeah, they saw a market opportunity, didn't they? They did. Is- it, was just, it, was, it was so clever. So let's get back to to little sam mm-hmm. and you've started doing your you've, i mean you, okay so you decided at eight you were going to be sammy J. yep told your friends that that's your name from now on mm-hmm. went on to hey hey did you did you bit on on hey how did you go on hey hey did you did you I, win no i came second uh which still a cause of shame so thanks for bringing it up but i got <laughs> i got 400 bucks sp- sponsored by mcdonald's 400 dollars, which that's you know when fantastic. you're in year nine that's a lot of cash that is a lot of cash yeah, yeah. and and by the way coming second out of you know they had well they only had three didn't they? but you yeah. came it, it's okay, good yeah, okay it's, look it's, it's okay. fine we're happy for you to to, to discuss the nerdy bits because yeah. i want to talk about the phantom because mm-hmm. i know you have an obsession with the phantom and the what made you what made you think that <laughs> So for those not watching on video, uh, Sammy's just holding it. I'm taking a screenshot. Hold it up. He's just held up this fantastic bust of the Phantom. I've got to say, my dad was into the Phantom. I was reading Archie and Jughead comics, but, you know, when I was growing up, comics were big. They were huge. And, and even the little ones, like the Reader's Digest size. Yep. And my dad used to get those Phantom ones and he loved them. And I loved the artwork and it would say Biff and Pow. And it was, you know, it was... It, because I'd never seen that apart from on um, cartoons. Yeah. I always thought, yeah, with the ghost who walks. I mean, he just, he never died. I loved him because he had a dog. But I love the fact that you love the Phantom because 
I thought he was really sexy. And <laughs> even though I was really young, but I just, I didn't know what sexy was when I was young, but I just thought, oh, I like, I like the look, of, I like the cut of his jib. Mm. So what is it about the Phantom? Why did you love him? Because he wasn't funny. No, and I've spent my life asking the question why I do why did I love the person because I so and I did a you know I did a full comedy show about this this love and this passion for this character where I basically make the you know create the thesis that I backed the wrong horse when it came to choosing a superhero because I like everyone else was liking Batman and Superman all the ones that would go on to become the Marvel heroes and I, here I am the Phantom has no superpowers the drawing is pretty crap compared to other comics it is crap for, for me yeah com- comparatively but. I think when I look back, it was, again, I liked being an outsider. I liked finding the comic that no one else was into. I liked finding the ah. comic that no one else had access to. And there was a history of the fandom, you know, if you want to delve into it, is the oldest master superhero. He was created in 1936, so soon enough there'll be a 100th anniversary. He predated Superman by a few years, and I think his creator went to his deathbed thinking that Superman was was plagiarised, uh, you know, stolen from the fandom. So there's some beautiful history there. Um but for me at school, it was just that thing that me and then another mate and then my school gardener, we were the three people who liked the Phantom. And we used to oh. trade Phantom comics and we used to, and when the Phantom movie came out, we were the only people in, <laughs> in the entire Mountain Peninsula who were excited about that. <laughs> so my kids, my kids still ask me, why have you got so much Phantom stuff? I'm like, I don't read the Phantom anymore. I don't, I don't specifically seek, seek out the comics or anything necessarily, but it's just, it's, it was part of my upbringing. I spent so many hours and years collecting and finding comics and going to secondhand bookstores. And so it was just, it was part of my little story, but again, I, I missed out on a lot of um, parties and conversations as a result of <laughs> standing to the side as people discuss Batman and Robin or something. I love that. And so, has 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 Phantom ever appeared at Comic Con? Have you ever been to anything where you've gone along as a fan to to check out um, the Phantom? I, that's a very deep question. I'm not sure if you've had intel here, Tracy, and, and that's why you're asking. It. I haven't. I haven't. You're innocent enough to no, not I, ha- I have not. I have not. You've poked here, but hand on my I heart. Went, so in uh, 1996, I wrote in my school diary on the day that the Phantom movie was coming out, I was so excited I could almost not write. <laughs> I'd won tickets to the premiere through the Herald Sun. And I, wrote, I just wrote, it's Phantom premiere day. And in capitals, I wrote, things are hotting up. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Like, I must have heard that on a Channel 10 promo for like, you know, Heartbreak High or something. Anyway, so I wrote that. And then in the show that I did about my love of the Phantom, that became a bit of a refrain, the phrase, things are hotting up, because I talked about that a lot. And then there was a bit of a campaign to try and get Billy Zane, who played the Phantom. Oh, my God, I love him. I love Billy Zane. Here's the thing, Tracy Bartram. What? Billy Zane does not love me. What happened? What happened? To answer your question, he went to Comic-Con in Adelaide in 2019. And? And and the organiser said, hey, Sammy, you should come and meet Billy Zane. And so I hopped on a plane. Yes. To see Zane. Yes. And... And I got and I and I arranged an interview, and I I got him to read my diary and say the word, <laughs> the phrase "things are hotting up," which was like the culmination of a twenty-five year journey for me. Yes. Unbeknownst to me, Tracy, a lot of my comedy fans who had seen the show behind the scenes had spent about three years who'd seen the show that I my my live comedy show about how much I love the Phantom. Yeah. They'd spent about three years pestering slash harassing Billy Zane to try and get him no. to say things are hotting up, like via his, <laughs> the cameo service that he does and via Facebook. And he's, like, been saying, no, he doesn't understand, he's blocking it all. And only in the moment when he, he read the phrase did he realise it was me. <laughs> and, and it was, oh, it was uh, very awkward for all concerned. <laughs> it, it involved a half-hour discussion with Mr Zane on the phone afterwards um, where he was not a happy man and... <laughs> I had to explain the backstory. I had to explain that I wasn't a stalker. Um, 
<laughs> it's, I'm still processing this because it was a big. You know, I had the Phantom on the on the phone telling me, uh, <laughs> but I can't. I, I won't repeat what he said. But suffice, go on, I, I think repeat we, what he said. What did he say? <laughs> well, tell me what he said. You're not funny. You're lame. <laughs> Stop it, <gasps> Sammy. Oh, I know. It's so hurtful. We reached a mutual place of understanding uh, at the end of the phone call, where I think. <laughs> He accepted he'd gone a bit too far. I accepted that I, I had gone a bit too far also in coming to Adelaide just to get him to read my diary. And we like to think there is a future for us. Oh, the Phantom my and God, I. Sammy. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't begin to tell you. I had no idea about any of that. And I had on my heart, I would never, ever set yeah. you up. I no. Had, no, I, no. I, had, I, I had a half hour angry phone call from Billy's own. <laughs> And his his anger was legitimate, but it was uh, it was misplaced on account of the truth of the situation, which is that I didn't realise that there was a huge backstory. <laughs> All these people were saying, "Can you say things yeah, are yeah. harding up?" Yeah. That is so great. That is so. I just yeah. see now. I don't like him anymore. No, he's, he no, was no, really not. I feel no, no, I feel no, like no. I put him in an awkward situation. No, you know what, Sammy? I'm just saying on behalf of you. The crush yep. that I had on Billy Zane, gone. It's oh, gone. No. no, no, seriously, there are other people I can lust after. Let me think. Okay, go for Leonardo DiCaprio. Too short and too young. Too short. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look, it's been so long I've forgotten who I've got a crush mm. on these days. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I have another question to ask you. Is it true that in one of your tours that you did in around 2016, 2017, you went on a national tour and you licked every state parliament building you actually mm. put your tongue on the on the building and licked it and and you, you you ended up licking parliament house in canberra at the end of the tour is is that true and if so why why is it so well it is true and it it's probably the best encapsulation of my sense of humor which is i just love stupid stuff that makes people <laughs> ask why and i love commitment my biggest i'd love committing to an idea or a concept beyond all reasonable bounds and so this happened, it was 2016. It's a real showbiz story, Tracy, because it was. I just found out that the sitcom I'd made with Randy, who is the puppet, puppet companion, yes, um, created by Heath McIver, my, my best friend, and, and we, we'd made a TV show for the ABC, which we loved, we slaved over, but we'd just been told we didn't get a second series, which is showbiz, that happens. But we really, in our heads, that was our trajectory. We thought we were going to make five series and that was our yeah. ticket to fame and creative freedom. And it hadn't happened. And I was in Adelaide doing a show with Randy, and I remember I was just feeling really glum. It was a real bummer of a career moment. And I was oh, walking yeah. past Parliament and I wanted to give myself, just make myself feel better. So I took a stupid photo of me licking the state <laughs> parliament in South Australia on North Terrace. And I just posted on Instagram and said, I'm starting a new photography project called The Taste of Democracy. I'm going to lick every single, <laughs> just a stupid, like flippant thing. And then everyone sort of got on board and took it seriously. And I, I happened to be doing a tour around the country. So I, then each time I went to a different state, I'd go and I'd lick the parliament. And lick the building. And but, I'd give it a rating, you know, based on how it tasted, the sandstone or the brick. Well, the, Adelaide then, is um, sandstone and it's beautiful. Lo gorgeous. I love North Terrace. Love North yep. Terrace. Whereas um, Melbourne, disgusting, tram, you yes. know, soot, the whole yes. lot. Um, yeah. And it finished in Canberra. I went to the flagpole and licked the flagpole. Um, beautiful. And the fact that I, I committed, I did it, I, it remains a, a proud achievement, all for nothing. Yeah, really. All for nothing. Yeah, there's actually there's nowhere we can go with that apart from that. It's just a bit sad. But I'm glad you shared that with me. Now, because I read about it and I thought, wow, what an yeah. odd thing to do. Because you read about it and you think it's a lie and then you, I made a documentary about it called The Taste of Democracy where you can actually see it all happening and you realise it's true and then you really 
then you really question who I am as a person, Tracy. No, I don't. I don't because I've, I've been watching you doing your yoga, <laughs> your left-wing yoga, and uh, I've got to say um, you might want to think about, well, let's just say those tights leave nothing to be desired. You're very fit, clearly very, very fit, mm-hmm. and because I have been a devotee of yoga for a very long time, I'm very impressed with your asanas. I think you ha- you're doing an extraordinary job. Thank you. I want to know how long you've been doing yoga because there's no way in the world you can tell me that you just decided to make that up for for that skit. Well, I don't know now whether to disappoint you or whether to... Oh, you're going to disappoint me now. You, no, you I know, can't believe my you... way through an answer. Go on. I, I've never done yoga. Oh. And How I, dare you be so flexible? I throw the question back on you, Tracy, because I, I, I find in my yoga sketches, yes. those who haven't done yoga are more likely to believe that I do do yoga. However, those that are real true yoga devotees, as you claim to be, are often the ones aware that my feet are in the wrong position or my hands oh. are in the wrong thing well, let, let and my say, techniques all over the place. Okay. Okay. Let's just clear this up. Mm-hmm. I was doing I started doing yoga at Greenslopes Primary School in Dandenong. <laughs> Because I'm a dandy girl and you're a Franger boy. And I had to bring it up. I wasn't going to because no? for those who are listening, Danny Nong and Frankston, the twain shall never meet, nor the train, because the, the, the trains don't, they don't intersect. There's a bus these days, aren't no, no, Nothing goes there, yeah. And so I was always very jealous of Frankston kids because you had the beach and you had no reason to be, fr- to be jealous of us apart from the fact that we had the best market, the dandy mm-hmm. market, still mm-hmm. very good, okay? So I started going to yoga with my mum at Greenslopes Primary School in Dandenong North. There was a woman called Doreen and Doreen would say, relax, relax, relax. <laughs> Stretch over your over your head, lean forward, softly, 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 and that was my that was my introduction to yoga. Oh. And yeah, and there was a woman on the telly called Swami Sarasvati who may still be alive, but if if so, she's quite elderly. But extraordinary woman, really brought brought yoga to Australia. But the yoga devotees that you would be meeting now are the nouveau yoga devotees who've done Ashtanga. Okay, where you jump from one thing to another. And I grew up with Hatha. And so everyone was wearing tights with, and they weren't footless. So you would slide all over the floor. Nobody mm-hmm. had a mat. We would just slide all over these wooden floors with these tights and leotards and everything was too tight And because I'm tall and I, bent, I was bent over like a banana. Like I, my yoga was not an attractive thing to watch and probably still isn't. But um, the people who may be saying to you, oh, your feet are the wrong way, I would say that they are Ashtanga wankers. Okay, and I I'm going gonna, gonna, gonna to reply with that next time someone questions my technique. Thank you, because I think I think you'll find that's what it is. Because the old school people like me who've been doing yoga for so long since before you were born mm-hmm. that's the saddest thing. Since before you were born, there was me and Doreen at Green Slopes Primary School telling us to relax <laughs> and stretch nicely. And um, so you know that's the but only I did yoga fu- I've I did fool you though. I did fool you. You did. You did. Excellent. You absolutely did. I'm, I think it's absolutely astounding. So I want to know, um, you, you mentioned your best friend Heath and Randy Feltface, the puppet. I know that there's a there's a very strong bond there and for a long time it was you and Randy a lot. Mm-hmm. And I only worked it out recently that um, I thought, because I actually thought Randy was animatronic. I didn't work out how you could get him to work when you weren't touching him. I thought, wow, that guy's really talented. Yep, I was a very talented ventriloquist. I, a lot of people still think the same thing. We all think that. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So um, is Randy still a part of your life or has he had to take a back seat because, well, you're a superstar now? Well, no, Randy is, uh, and, and this is always, sometimes people will ask me a version of this question and, and I need to check their eyes and see whether they 
and I, you know, I, I know you know there are two of us involved, but some people will say, oh, so what's Randy doing now? And, and they'll be asking it still thinking I'm a ventriloquist. And so I'll say, well, he's doing his own shows in, in Darwin and, and, Perth. And, they'll, and they'll chuckle away. But no, but Randy is currently doing a national tour of Australia. He, he sells out theatres. He's about to play um, at the beautiful, um, uh, the Tivoli in Brisbane, you know, sold thousands of seats. So not that, not that we're jealous. Not that we're jealous at all. No, not jealous at all. He's, he's, he's dodged the pandemic all year. In fact, he's, a, he's avoided every lockdown and just gone oh, around the country. So he's, my God. he's living his best life. But it's a beautiful thing. We, we, we started on, on the comedy scene together ferociously trying to do our own solo things we worked out we were better and more successful and more creative together yeah and then along the way we're able to still progress enough in our individual things where we're now able to do things together do things apart but there's there's not that ego and arrogance and jealousy of youth that comes with early collaborations which can really you know yeah. make or break you yeah yeah i oh, look i think i love the character and i love the work that you've done with him i wanted to um ask you about because those who don't know you, which would be no one, you'd have to be living under oh, a rock. No, 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 no. ABC listeners and viewers will know me, but others yeah, less so. I didn't know that you were the winner in the international songwriting competition for for comedy. You actually won the comedy section with Pink Clouds, which I can't get out of my head. Oh, <laughs> Pink Clouds Hanging in the sky so low It's the sunlight's final hour so it's putting on a show Through the park I walk Dogs bark and lovers talk And all of us united by that Colour in the sky Just see the pink clouds A kite is floating on the breeze And below a man is sleeping Under eucalyptus trees The sky is now his ceiling The grass is now his bed his face is kind of pale, his eyes are rolled back in his head I try to shake him, it doesn't wake him And I try not to get my hopes up But I think I've found a dead guy in the park What a thrill, cause now I get to call the police Triple O, here we go What is your emergency? I'm glad you asked, I found a dead guy in the park Wait with the corpse till the police arrive and dead Guy in the park I'll guard the body perfectly You'll find us in the park beneath I love that. I wanted to ask, did you get money? Did you get money when you won um, that? No, I didn't get, get money. They sent me a microphone. Um, oh, that's and, nice. Uh, which is nice. And, but it was, but actually, that little award and your praise to send means the world to me because that song, it's just a comedy song, that's all it is, but for me it was sort of the culmination of, you know, as I talked about, writing poor stuff early on in my career or writing stuff for hey, it's Saturday when I was 15. Pink Clouds to me was the ultimate expression of what, what I wanted to do, which was it's musically, it's nice, it's got a journey that does, <laughs> love the th- that surprises you and so you don't, you don't know where it's heading and that's for me the essence of comedy. It's it's keeping ahead yeah. of, of the audience. Um, so I sort of, I genuinely wrote that song after that. I thought if I never write another comedy song and maybe, you know, I've written a few since then, but if I never do it again, I'm sort of comfortable because I, I got to a place where I could create that little three-minute bit of comedy. Oh, it's sense. so great. I mean, I what I love is when I watched it the first time and I st- I heard the audience laugh and I went, I'm like, did I did he just say that? And I went back and went, he did just say that. <laughs> I'm talking about the eyes from the man in the song. I'm not giving anything away. And I just, oh, that's hilarious. And then, and of course, you know, when that people start to catch on, I mean, it's, it's really, and then it gets rather black um, and they yes. laugh even more. I mean, it's, it's, it's very clever, Sammy. I, I think it's great. This is 
really rewinding half an hour in our chat, but I feel I, I have not mentioned this influence of mine. And probably when I think about it, he's a single-handedly the, the biggest influence on my entire life and career, which is Tom Lehrer, the American satirist who used to write songs. Yes. So in year eight, a teacher of mine played me a song uh, by a guy called Tom Lehrer, who was a satirist in the 1960s in America, who wrote songs on piano, really, you know, witty and stupid stuff and a bit dirty for the for the time period. Mm-hmm. And that was really what got me into the idea of writing songs and and musical comedy and politics. And it was the single, that little one minute where he played me a song and he thought I might like it, genuinely changed my life, I think. Um, and I think about that a lot in terms of influences and butterfly effect moments. Because then I started watching Frontline and they had Elliot Rhodes, the Friday Night Funny Man, who was a direct, <laughs> yes. he was a direct piss take of Tom Lehrer. Yes. And so I could appreciate the fact that they were making fun of him, but I also really liked Elliot Rhodes' songs anyway. And so I was walking, which is sort of what I've always done, more to that line between being lame but also trying to be funny in the same way and, and, and finding this balance. And Pink Clouds is probably, you know, a, a long way from that, but it still had its genesis there, which is how do you surprise people and how do you make a catchy song at the same time? I had a dog, he's now dead, his name's Moby, and Moby had a problem with his penis. And, of course, because if I'm calling him Moby, it wasn't about Moby Dick, it was about Moby the musician, but it was like karmically I asked for it. And um, so he had penis problems his entire life. He lived till he was 17. But at one point I took him to see Dr Hugh Worth, who was the big blustery head of of the RSPCA, and he said, oh, take him, take him down to uh, Werribee. They'll, They'll look after him there. They'll do a good job. And I went in with my dog and and I met this doctor wearing a white coat and he came in and he and he did a drawing on this whiteboard and showed me what was going on with Moby's dick and um <laughs> I was there I'm sorry and so he said so he drew it he was drawing and this is what's happening and it's not doing this and it's not doing that and I said oh I said <laughs> so he's got a bone in his pants a dog couldn't chew through and I went ha 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 and he just looked at me and I said Oh, I'm sorry. I said, I'm from Dandenong. And he said, I'm not. And he walked out of the room. I had completely offended a vet talking about a penis. I mean, who who knew? So as it turned out, we didn't have the surgery because they wanted two and a half grand and um, and that we found other ways around it. Yeah, Yeah, wonky willy from then on. It was out all the time. It was just out. (laughs) It was just, you know, it looked like he had his lipstick down the whole time. I think you buried the uh, headline there is that you just casually just went to Hugh Worth for an opinion. Who gets to do that? Who gets to just... Uh, Well, see, because Hugh and I met on the ABC. So okay. when I used to fill in, because I've, I've only ever seen, you're doing at the ABC what I was never allowed to do. I only ever filled in. <laughs> and so I would fill I in. I think it's on, probably more sustainable. Well, no, no, well, I'm not there, so clearly it's not. <laughs> but um, he used to come in on a Saturday morning and we'd talk about animals. And he, he was so funny. And he'd talk about what his little dog and he'd say, Lachlan would come and say, Daddy, Daddy, can I get on the bed? I mean, he was just, you know, he was a very, very funny man. So that's how I knew Hugh Worth. I mean, uh, and look, isn't it? It did sound like... A lot of people wouldn't know who who he was, oh, no. but he was the long-term voluntary president of the RSPCA in Melbourne. But now I'm involved with starting over Dog Rescue, and I'd like to give them a plug on this podcast because if you're looking at getting a dog and you want to find a rescue, please go there because they don't get any funding. Um, um, Sammy, are your girls showing any tendencies to follow in Daddy's footsteps in terms of music or comedy or both? I think there's certainly a musical and comedy bent in terms of the lots of laughter or attempts to make each other laugh and outrageous attention-seeking behaviour at times. Uh, my younger one has decided she wants to be an artist, but she or, she already has her fallback careers lined up because I think she hears me talking about... <laughs> 
Because I had that thing, you know, as like I feel like I've been, I've, I've, yes, I've worked hard, like everyone works hard, but I, I've also been just very fortunate and lucky in the sense that, again, going back to that, that the guy you saw on ABC 20 years ago, not, a lot of people would have seen that and, and not thought there was a career ahead. But but I've been oh, lucky in taking my chances and things. But I feel like I would still have to pause if I was to go, if my kids were going to go into showbiz, I'd really have to think long and hard about whether, of course, I'll encourage them to do whatever they want. But it's a, it's a hard slog and there are big highs and big lows. So, um, oh, it's hell. I, and let's I just throw in a that. pandemic, you know, because that's making yeah, it so yeah. easy for us all to work. Yeah. Why do you think I've started yeah. a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Sammy J, it's that's been. If you've got the creative, if there's a flame in you, no matter how small, if it's burning, then it has to be let out. It, you know? it has to be. It has to be. And I hope they do follow in, in your footsteps because you've, you've got extraordinary talent. And Sammy, it's just been such a delight to talk to you today. Thank you so much for, I want to say this, you know, fitting, fitting in this chat when you have got your kids at home and it's school holidays and the weather's crap. And the fact that the weather was crap was one of the things that made it this time slot happen because you're you're so busy. And they haven't burst in the door once this entire time. So I give them a big special thanks as well. That is so gorgeous. You are a scholar and a gentleman and it's been gorgeous to finally meet you, Sammy J. You too, Tracy Bartram. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much, Sammy. Bye-bye. As we all know, podcasts are free to listen to, but they are certainly not free to create. The following extraordinary people have contributed their amazing talents to create Laughaholics, and I wholeheartedly recommend their businesses. Laughaholics audio production, editing and imaging, brilliantly executed by Daryl Misson. The Laughaholics logo was created by Rick Plumridge at Ricochet Graphics. The Laughaholics show theme was lovingly composed by Steve the Bastard, and for more information on the Laughaholics experience as a professional development tool, please go to tracybartram.com.au where you'll see my new website. Thank you so much to NME Digital for their amazing work. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Laughaholics. Celebrating laughter. Laughter.